Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. This episode of the EdUp Experience is sponsored by MDT Marketing. MDT Marketing is a digital marketing agency with a vision of creating education, marketing, and technology programs that improve people's lives. Specializing in student nurturing programs, digital advertising, marketing technology, and digital printing, MDT Marketing's seasoned team is entrusted by higher education institutional leaders to develop personalized communication strategies that are compliant and highlight what differentiates their institutions. Learn more about MDT Marketing at mdtmarketing.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. Guys, there goes my wife back out of the garage again, the ding, ding. Liz, this is what happens when you're working from home. Trust me, I know. That's the life we live. And so uh, I'll just say with me, as always, the phenom, the absolute phenom. Yay. Elizabeth Liba, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. And I think it's, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, Elizabeth, uh, your um, op-ed in CNN has had over 2 million views as of today, probably close to, closer to 2.2 million. Uh, congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you so much. It's been a whirlwind. Whirlwind, is that the right word for it this week? So yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm happy. So we just keep marching forward and uh, highlighting amazing things that are happening in the world around us. So that's definitely a good segue. Well, speaking of amazing things (laughs) and amazing people, on the line right now, we have Dr. Reynolds Barrett. He is president, ladies and gentlemen, of Xavier University uh, of Louisiana. How are you doing today, Reynolds? How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. It's good to be here. Well, thanks for, for coming on. It's, a, it's an honor. And we, we always like to jump right in and put you on the spot and ask you a bunch of questions. But first, the most important question, how's your health and how's your family? My health is fine. My family is well. Um, we are mainly sequestered and we are um, behaving accordingly ah, for, I like for that. pandemic. Now, speaking of behaving accordingly, I'm here in California and we're, we're about to go back on a, or we are going back on a complete lockdown over here. So things, as they improve, uh, take two steps forward, take one step back. How are your students doing? How's everybody uh, maintaining there at Xavier University of Louisiana? Are you having students on campus? Have you sent everybody home for the holiday? Uh, where are you guys at in terms of uh, students? We, we, we have sent the students home for the holiday. We had students in person. Uh, the majority of our students, uh, a very small fraction of our students took uh, all their courses online. So most students were engaged in person in some way. We sent them home before Thanksgiving. We made sure we tested everyone before we sent them home to make sure we were not sending uh, uh, disease to their homes. But we've had the measure, of, the campus has been relatively safe. In our testing, we've seen a percent positivity in our testing of somewhere around 1.5, 1.6%, which is good. And we were able to uh, quarantine, isolate those students and keep a low level of disease on campus. 
Yeah, it's, it's certainly a challenge. You know, the job of being a university president these days it comes with a whole other set of challenges that didn't exist before. So, uh, you know, so much respect goes out uh, to you and, and your peers. I, I do want to just mention that uh, Xavier University of Louisiana is a historically black college and university. And I believe, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong, the only Catholic uh, uh, based uh, HBCU in the country. Is that correct? That is true. That is true. Of wow. some 200 and almost 220, 230 Catholic institutions and about 103, 140, depending on how one counts, historically black colleges, uh, Xavier is the only Catholic one. So that's a really interesting value proposition and differentiation. You know, is that an important part of your communication to students, uh, the, the Catholic identity, the, the you know, being, uh, foundationally being an HBCU and, um, uh, you know, spreading educational access across the country? Talk about your mission and talk about your importance. Yeah, and, and, and our mission, I would say, we're not, we are not unique in some ways. There are the confessional schools that share some elements of what we do. But uh, the fundamental that comes from the charisma of our, found, of our founding uh, by Catherine Drexel is the uh, expected that we should be contributing to bringing justice and humanity in society. And that there is responsibility of service, and, and that service is is something that is inculcating in faculty and staff, and our students understand it more than more, more than we do, and that notion of service to each other and service to the larger world is, is something that our students understand, and that's it, that's inherent to the Xavier culture, and I think that's has been protective of us in some ways. Mm. Liz, I, you know, I think this is a great spot for you. I mean, we're, we're talking about social justice and, and contributing to humanity. You are amazing at doing that, and um, uh, I think I uh, have an affinity for HBCUs and their um, ability to create access uh, and educational, really differentiation for, for um, uh, black students and talk about your, your thoughts. Well, I, I think what, what, what is remarkable about HBCUs and especially about Xavier is the commitment to, to, to educating students no matter where they come from. And our, and our belief that, the student, that there is talent and ability in these students and that's proven by our graduates. Uh, I think what, what has happened when uh, in the American society that uh, people black and brown were of given of low value and low expectations of them, in HBCUs, we, especially at Xavier, we embrace them with high expectations and our students rise to that and they flourish and flower. I love that concept. I love that philosophy because every time we've had the presidents from HBCUs, I'm always so fascinated to hear about what's being done that's different on the HBCU campus. And um, me, Dr. Verrett can speak to this because I went to a PWI, but I loved the confidence that I saw in some of my uh, friends and sorority sisters and coworkers that I knew that went to HBCUs. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you're doing there at Xavier and what HBCUs in particular do that's different, that needs to be modeled. You talked about educating students no matter where they come from and how our black and brown students oftentimes don't receive that nurturing environment. What do you do there? Because you've had great numbers in terms of the 3% increase in first to second year retention. You're obviously doing a great job in increasing your student retention and matriculation rates there as is spoken to by the statistics that you are showing with your students and the rates that you're showing with your students in terms of those different um, indicators. What do you do there that's different that we need to well, model? And, 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 and if I can center my, 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 my response by first saying that Xavier has been sending more African-Americans to become physicians at any school in the country, even universities that are 10 times our size. Uh, 
I've been doing that for decades. That's and amazing. More African Americans have become PhDs in the sciences and, and, and STEM fields than many schools. We've been leading that space. But also, if you think about the numbers of our federal judges, judges at all levels who come from Xavier, Xavier's been doing this. So, what has been here is basically the high level of expectation, the high expectations we have of our students, despite the fact that they may not come with the pre-collegiate education that they deserved. Remember, I say they deserve because no child chooses his or her schools in this country. Absolutely, absolutely. I, at least I'm not aware of it. Absolutely. Uh, so they come with education sometimes with uh, gaps in their armor, but when they are met by our faculty, our faculty push them very hard and help them to discover where the chinks, the gaps in their armors are and to tell them, we will be walking with you to fill it. And, and I repeat this often that our students are not always very happy with the faculty pushing them while they are here. But when they leave here, these are the faculty that they come back to see because they, they appreciate what, what has been done. Because what, uh, and, and, I, and I, quote our, I quote our students recently, this was two years ago, we had an issue with our dining service, we're repairing our dining services, and we, we got there. But in the, in the, in the, in the student uh, forum, when that was being discussed, one of the questions asked by one of my board members was, if you are so dissatisfied with Xavier, why are we here? And the student came back and says, because we know this faculty has our back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that self-renewal of, of the quality of faculty that, that not only believes in these young women and men, but also will walk with them and help them repair it is why, is why they become physicians, even when they did not have the education that they would get at the prep school or the special school in the suburbs that many of other Americans benefit from. Absolutely. And, and the funny thing is, and the amazing thing is that that experience and that legacy is passed down from generation to generation. We interviewed on the podcast, I had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Danielle Gathers, who actually is the first mm -hmm. undergraduate student body president at MIT and her mom- oh, I, I was a graduate student there, so we are very proud of her. Absolutely, and her mom graduated from Xavier. And that when she talked about how she was motivated and how her mom was such a huge part in her being so, such an amazing person and she's she's been so motivated to achieve and that was one of the things that she talked about her mom so it's just such a legacy that we're passing down to these students and, and it carries with them from generation to generation talk to me about your background yourself as an immigrant my parents are Jamaican and I was born in the UK I saw that you're an immigrant also from Haiti how has that informed how you navigate the world around you how you lead in terms of your career in higher education what do you feel about the first generation student experience and how is that something that you nurture in your leadership style well I I, I say the, the complexity of being an immigrant uh, uh, is also one of identity but also uh, so I see myself as someone who has at least two childhoods, one childhood in Haiti before, my, before I was eight years old, another child which is fundamentally in Brooklyn, which is a melting pot of people from around the world, uh, not only the Caribbean, but people from, especially from the Great Migration came out of Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, those places who, who came to New York and, 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 and come to me and met each other in Brooklyn or in, uh, in Harlem. So you have an identity which, which, which engaged with many people. But also one of the things that is clear about my, my experiences, because I came as a political refugee, my parents, my mother did with four children. It's also how strangers, neighbors, people who do not know you embraced you and were part of your coming up. So mm -hmm. uh, I use the, experience, the expression, which is actually from uh, uh, Blanche Dubois in a streetcar named Desire, when she says that I depended upon the kindness of strangers. I can say that truly myself. 
and, and I could say that's my brothers and sisters. And that expectation that those people who gave to you also expect you to give is part of my of my being. And I think that comes from coming up in Brooklyn in that melting pot. That's amazing. I love the idea of that community. And I'm, I'm sure that's something that happens on campus there. I have one last question for you before I turn it back over to Joe. And when we're talking about the campus and, and things that you're doing to create community and things of that nature. One thing I also noticed in terms of what's going on, on campus is that it looks like you're thinking about different course offerings and things that you can do to be responsive to student needs. And that's something that across higher ed, we're all reconsidering now because of everything that's happening in the world around us, what we need to do to be more responsive to students. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the course offerings that you're doing that are different in terms of like physician assistant or different things that you're doing to create another layer of differentiation that will help to grow the student experience and, and give them maybe something different that will prepare them as they go into the world? If I might underline that, it is not a new thing at Xavier that we have always been looking at and, and asking ourselves. Sure. What program should we be offering? Where, where, where is the education education needed? For example, Absolutely. what we've been doing in the, in the, in the pre-medical space that, that, that began more, almost 40 years ago was a decision mm. there before that in education. Now you'll find us in, in not only in the sciences, but what we've done with our computer science program into, in data science, but also in neuroscience. We are the only undergraduate program, I think, in neuroscience in, among all HBCUs, mm. but also in digital humanities. So as we've been asking ourselves, where are where are spaces where education is needed for uh, uh, of the quality of Xavier in spaces, especially spaces where we would like to see more young men and women of color uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, present. So Xavier has, has always been expanding that and we continue that process. So what you're seeing at the, in the health fields is what's happening, but also what's also happening in, 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 our, uh, in our humanities and the arts as well. So that, that has been expanding. One of the results of that is what you may see in the reports of Xavier for among colleges and universities that provide that engage that add to the social mobility of, of their graduates. Mm -hmm. Xavier is one of those because in a study by uh, Rashetti, um, when we looked at Xavier um, among all colleges and universities in the country, the top 10 universities and colleges for moving students from the lowest quintile of the socioeconomic bracket into the upper three, Xavier mm -hmm. was, was one in the top 10. It was six in the country. And that, and that remains that because the majors that we give them are not for their first job. Students from Xavier get jobs, but it's about being able to shape a career, being able to take what you know and mold, and mold in the careers that even at this time that I may not know the careers that my graduates will be engaged in because those careers don't even exist yet. Wow. So that being ready is, is what we've done. And because of that, our students are able to move uh, uh, not only in, in, in the economic space, but also in, 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 as, as citizens of, of the nation. Where do you stand on, um, on degree value? You know, there's a, you're talking about social mobility and you're talking about jobs and, you know, um, universities in general, and there's contingent of thinkers out there that are all about ROI less about the educational experience. And then there's other folks out there that, that talk about the product actually being the educational experience and, and don't talk about the return on investment. Where do you stand on the overall value of a college degree today? Um, well, versus where, of, yeah, go ahead. I, I would say the value of a college degree is, is important in an economy, which, which, which is less, channel on the on, on my strength my my my, my resilience 
we, we, have, we have an economy and we will have an economy that, that will be based on human mind. We have minds that can think uh, not only critically, but can think about things that are uh, complex because the complexities of our society will, 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 will increase. It doesn't mean that a college education is necessary for all occupations. But remember, we're not, as I say, we're not educating students for jobs. We're, we're educating students to prepare them for careers, which means that they need to shape their careers. For example, we have our chemistry majors who go who went who went to the law, who go who, who go in, into fields that would not expect chemist chemists to be. So we have they they can apply their fields in, 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 in many different ways. That plasticity will be important, you know, for, for, for the occupations of the future. College provides that, and as we can see by looking at the, the social mobility index of how our students engage and move through the economy, it says that there is a return investment from just the numerical sense, but from the sense of being able to lead lives and take on positions of leadership. If you think of who are among the lawyers who have shown up, who have been engaged in representing some of the victims of the um, uh, brutality, uh, of, public, of public safety brutality around the country uh, uh, in, in, over the last six, eight months, even the nine months, you'll see several Xavier graduates. That ability to be able to be present in many ways, in, in many spaces. So for, if we want to build communities, we actually want to educate students at the high level because what one sees, to take Daniel Gaither's example that, that, that Liz mentioned earlier, it's not that a Xavier degree is, is an individual benefit to, this, to that individual student, but it also has something to do with the larger community that that student interacts with. We have students who are first generation students who finish at Xavier and suddenly we have three years later, a cousin, a younger brother, a sister coming, uh, coming to Xavier. And, they begin, and, and there's a contaminant effect of the benefits of Xavier education that we want to actually infuse into communities, not just communities of color, but within the American um, um, polity. So Liz has talked uh, pretty openly about the lack of uh, black students in STEM programs. And um, you, know, you have both STEM programs, you have some programs in the arts and the humanities. Do, do you see that, that the students, African-American students are less interested in STEM programs or, or is it on the rise from your perspective? Well, at Xavier, students are, are very much interested in the STEM program. I think the larger issue if you think about the pipeline for, for students who go into the STEM fields, likewise, the pipeline of students who go into medicine or into other fields, such as, for example, that are maybe even in the humanities, such as creative writing, that pipeline very often does not begin at the college level. And, very, and we can mm -hmm. see that, that you have underrepresentation of African-Americans in, in many of those fields, whether it's the law, whether, whether it's some of the social policies fields, or whether it's the sciences. Part of that is a pipeline issue. Xavier, the students who come at Xavier excel. What I worry about is that the number of students who never come to my door or to other doors of other colleges. Some of our summer programs are essentially looking at building the pipeline. And I think that dearth of, of not uh, is showing up in, in, even in the critique of, of the healthcare system because there are trust issues when there are not enough practitioners who look like you and me. Uh, so that I think that those larger issues, I think, of representation are important. But the pipeline it means that we need to actually not just develop our higher ed system as we do at Xavier, but also what we do in K through 12 in the early grades. Uh, I just want to say quickly, if you think about it, take any field we wish. Take 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 a concert, uh, uh, take a, 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 a cellist or, or, or a musician or a scientist or an artist. Those passions begin when one is very young, not only when one is 18 or 19. So really we have to do our work earlier. As I remember the work was done 
I was given permission to think of myself as a scientist in the sixth grade, even though I didn't fully understand what it meant. There were people who actually allowed that space. We need more of that occurring with younger people. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a mic drop, drop moment there, Liz, don't you think? Absolutely, I agree. And, and one thing I want Dr. Wright to speak to is this pipeline issue in a through K-12 disparity because it always boggles my mind sometimes when I speak to those that are leaders in higher education and they seem to be unaware of the disparities that are occurring in K-12 through around the country. I went to predominantly um, Black school. It was about 90% Black. And obviously the, the education in terms of some of the resources and things that were available were not gonna be the same as a school in the suburbs that was better funded. And I find that sometimes those in higher ed seem to be, you've mentioned it a couple of times, so you're very aware of it, but I talked to some of my colleagues in higher education. Sometimes I hear that education K through 12 is exactly the same across the country, which I think would lead to them feeling like when a student comes through their door, that all students are exactly the same prepared, same have the same preparedness, which you said is not, you, you guys recognize that because you're talking about the chinks in the armor and nurturing those students so that they can get across the finish line. Can you talk a little bit about how we can bring more awareness in higher education across the country in the idea that students that are coming from marginalized backgrounds don't have the same level of preparedness depending on where they're from, which you spoke to a couple of times already. Hey everyone, this is Joe, just reminding you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com where you can find and explore all of the content that we've released under the EdUp Experience brand, including multiple podcast series, EdUp Elites, EdUp Embedded, and EdUp Experts. You can also suggest topics or guests for our podcast. Then head over to YouTube, check out our channel, The EdUp Experience, and you're going to find that my amazing co-host, Elizabeth Liba, has started a new web series called EdUp Unplugged, where she talks about racism in America with special guests coming on that web series. We've got a lot going on at the EdUp Experience. Again, check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. Now let's get back to our guest. First of all, it begins with great teachers, teachers who believe in, who believe in, the, in the talent and capacity of their students. Yes. And, and also, it also requires that we have uh, enough self-awareness and reflection to understand that as Americans, we are affected by certain uh, perceptions of race, mm-hmm. which cause us to value certain people and don't value other people, to assume mm-hmm. in, in almost blaming uh, the child for his or her learning or not learning. Exactly. And I think that that deficiency is important, is essential. We know that essentially what we're suffering from is what I call a bifurcation of K through 12. And we have the great schools and if you're from New York City, you'll know that there's Bronx High School of Science, there's, there's Brooklyn Tech, uh, we have, we have uh, Stuyvesant, we have great high schools. We have some, and we have some private schools of that quality. And then they have the other schools. It's true, it's true if I'm in Albuquerque, it's true if I'm in Chicago, it's true if, if, I'm, if I'm in Nebraska. Uh, so, and, and, and it's not just a matter of race, because if you think about it, that, that basically most kids don't go to those great schools. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're suffering. So, so we have a talent dearth. I would add another piece is that if you think about it, 40 years ago, and even today, some of the efforts have been to recruit and look for talent and brain outside the country, because we can find great talented students from, 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 from Southeast Asia. From, uh, from, from, from anywhere in the, in the world right now, and we bring them here. 
and at the peril of not of neglecting the talent that we have here in this country. Mm. Because we've all been, we've all been the class of second graders or first graders, and you see that their curiosity, and you see this bubbling curiosity, no matter where you are, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How come we don't cultivate that? That's the problem. Mm. It's there, it's there. So you need teachers who believe and, 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 and can see the genius in, in, in his children. See um, the genius. And, and, you have to, and you have to. Uh, I use the example of Ben Carson, uh, who's now the secretary of HUD. Remember, he was the preeminent pediatric neurosurgeon of his generation. Hmm. I'm not talking about his political work. As a pediatric <laughs> neurosurgeon, if you needed a pediatric surgery, you went to him. Hmm. But remember, there were some people who dismissed him, that child. Understand how many other Ben Carsons were dismissing. And I would add that uh, there is a study that was published in 2001 called Meeting the Need by the, by the Education Center Assessment Service, looking at some of our, the workforce needs in the STEM areas that we will need 10 years down the line. That's quite a while ago. But they were saying that understanding that because the United States is becoming majority minority, the children who are not performing, who are not getting as much out of school, tend to be in that, in that minority right now. But those are the children we need. So if you do not raise the educational outcome for those children, the country will be left behind. In other words, the United States will not become a, remain a preeminent military, economic power, take any other power, health power, right? Unless it's able to educate its own. Do you, think we'll, do you think we'll see that in time though, Dr. Virat? Will think, people I see think, that in time? I think, we, I think we will because we have no choice. Hmm. Because the reality, because you also see that even uh, the Chambers of Commerce industry actually realized, realized the problem. Mm. Because the, the problem is real, because essentially the situation that changed from when I was a young boy in the 60s and 70s to now, because what happens, the countries from which we would draw those brains, right, are developing. They will send their talent to this country to learn, but they want it back. Mm. So they will do their best. Even take the example of China. China sends a lot of talented young men and women to the United States today but they want them back. And you can't blame any country for wanting, for wanting its brains back because it's up to you to make sure that you're educating your own. That's, wow, a, that's a good point. And we know the talent Amazing. is there. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, you do want your, you want your intellectual capital back. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and remember, our intellectual capital is in the first and second grade right now. Mm -hmm. we, have this, we have this gold mine down there, right? And we're deciding to fritter it away. Hmm. Wow. And part of that fruiting away is that to use a, a saying, if you remember Sting's comment about the Russians and the American in their struggle, the Russians love their children too. Hmm. The question that's basically that do we see do we love all of our children hard enough that we would want to educate them all? Or just educate some? And how do we get more funding in HBCUs? I see that you all got a $1.5 million gift from the Gail and Tom Benson Charitable Foundation. You've had scholarships um, awarded through Beyonce and Google and Kevin Hart. How do we make sure our HBCUs stay strong so they can be a huge part of the process once students get to the college level? Because that's a big issue as far as HBCUs not having enough funding. How, how do we address that issue? We have work to do, and we also need your help in making sure, in letting people understand them, get the message that the work we are doing is crucial, not just for, for our students immediately, but for the larger nation. That we, what we are we're producing above our, we're, as I say, we're punching above our weight. We're producing 
talented men, women and men who go on and help build this, this country. And one of them is now uh, is now the vice president of the United States, vice president elect. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and, but that's not that's not un, that's not unusual. If you, if you, if you think of, of young men, and, and remember, uh, you speak of Daniel Gaithers, who's, who's 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 a second generation HBCU. She might as well be a Xavier alumna. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, but that is not that cascading effect of once you educate, you actually it, it, it brings more it brings more riches. Uh, and for American, I think what we also need is to communicate with American industry, chambers of commerce, who should under, who understand that one of their great resources are, are, are these young women and men, and that they need to, they, they need to invest in, in these institutions to make sure that the talent is available because it's what it's one of our great strengths. In fact, uh, not long ago I was having a conversation and we we're reminding ourselves that one of the great developing, developing economies. Of, of for the next century is a continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. Asia is already mm-hmm. moving, right? Mm-hmm. One of the few countries for its diversity that has a system of historically black institutions, right? Mm. There's no other. So there, there, there are many benefits to the United States of these gem institutions. And also, it also helps us understand our work that we have to do to become one nation. I mean, rather than being these divided people, because there is an important history and legacy that these HBCUs have to offer. We know, who, and, 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 and that's what we also communicate at Xavier through our external work, to remember where we are, where we came from, and how we get there, and, and where we need to go. Though the same engagement that, 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 that one would have from the tribal colleges, or even from uh, a historically Jewish institution like Brandeis, there's important work that is important the work that those institutions play in, in, in helping the the quilt of America uh, move forward. So I, I, it's so much of um, you're talking about going back to your point about social impact and improving society. So much of where we're missing. The mark is our ability to treat each other with respect and and have dialogue with people we disagree with and understand that we are all equal. Uh, and you know, I see that I get to see that firsthand with my my co-host here, Elizabeth. I, and Elizabeth, I hope you don't mind me saying, but you know, your your um, CNN article that you had your op-ed produced a number of comments to our website, the Edup Experience website, that were literally unbelievable to me. I mean probably believable to you, Elizabeth, but you just go, we're lucky that there are institutions out there like Xavier teaching students how to be better uh, in society. And I think that's such a foundational aspect of education and so important today. Uh, I don't know if there's a question in there, but just, you know, it's, it's just more important than ever. It, it, it reminds me of something that, that we say often that I've seen in my commencements. To remind ourselves that if when we send 400 and 500 students at graduation out to the world, that they're now next down payment on Catherine, uh, 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 on Catherine Drexel's investment. That when Mother Catherine created us, this was what she expected for us to be another gift of these 500 women and men into the world. And that's about putting these people in the world to make that world better because they are able to engage society at all levels. How do we build more coalitions? I see that you guys are taking a lead role at your university in looking at how to join with other HBCUs and how to look at mobilizing and creating those types of uh, 
coalitions that can be stronger than just one school alone. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the initiatives that you're doing in joining with other HBCUs? And do you see that as a model across well, higher education? Well, we, we collaborate with our, with our sister HBCUs on, on, on many levels, not mm -hmm. only some of the NUSDF school, but even, even some of the public HBCUs. But our collaborations are actually on, on multiple levels, not just among the HBCUs. For example, we have our uh, the historic, uh, uh, we, we have collaborations with, 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 with institutions in, 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 on the Navajo reservation, because remember, we're founded by someone who was committed to Native Americans and Blacks. So we have mm -hmm. collaborations at that level. We have collaborations with some of our PAWI schools that where we have co our, our common interests as well. So the, the, the idea is that we see ourselves in the HBCU as part of the quilt of American education. That means it's diversity, the same that must interact. Our students go on, on when they go to medical schools or law schools, go to schools that are not necessarily, that are not necessarily HBCUs uh, in, in some cases, because in, in many efforts, especially in law schools and in specialized schools like engineering schools. Uh, so we are collaborating on many levels because the idea of as Americans, we have to collaborate among ourselves, that we are interdependent. We are clearly independent on many levels. And, 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 and that message, we, that the way we behave is an example of that. And as, as someone mentioned to me many years ago, says the role of Xavier is also to use is evangelical. Evangelical mm -hmm. from a standpoint of that good news that we're saying that look what's possible. Why aren't you Johnny joining in? This is really possible. And that the pessimism of other institutions that the Xavier would say, look what we do with these young people when they come to us. How come you're not outdoing us? So we have an important message for the larger country. And so our collaborations have to be on many levels. You're also collaborating with, uh, looks like you're collaborating with the governor, other leaders across the state in Louisiana uh, with a commitment to health, improving the overall health uh, of people in the state of Louisiana. Um, you know, is that, is that a, a key initiative for you as a, as a person and as an institution to, you know, affect um, the state in a positive way when it comes to health, mental health, physical health, and, and the commitment you made there? In education and public safety, uh, because I think I, I, I like to use the word well-being of a community, a resilient, well, a well community. Of course, it involves physical health and mental health. It involves education. It involves how people actually interact and, set, and resolve conflict. So we have on many levels to be, for example, one of our centers, Center of Health for, 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 for Equity, Justice, and Human Spirit. Some of that is to be able to have the difficult conversations that, that very often we need to have among our, in our society, even across the so-called race lines and things like that. Uh, but also health is important because healthy people you need to you, 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 you need people to take care of their basic needs in order for them to go on, on to other things and to have healthy communities. And by healthy communities, I mean very healthy. The children are, pro, are, 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 are prospering, they're being educated. The, the, the old people are being taken care of. People feel safe. There's a global sense of, of well-being that, that one needs to build. And it's not just, you cannot narrow your focus on any one aspect of the uh, American challenge. So getting, uh, talking, just uh, shifting gears a little bit in the conversation and talking about, you know, what spring term looks like for you. You've got students who've been uh, sent home now for the holidays. Your, your spring term is probably baked for the most part in terms of what you're looking at from a student count perspective. Uh, you know, what's, what's, uh, what do you think the biggest challenge is right now for Xavier when it comes to your spring term, 
Is it welcoming students back on campus? Is it something else? What, what are you looking at in the future right now is really a big challenge for you guys and something that you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna overcome? Well, I think there's the short term, and I think short term in January, February, in the next couple of months. Um, the short term challenges are there, but also the longer term challenges, which, which, which come up, to, what I say, called the fall, next year to come. Um, clearly, it, it, for the spring, we have our strategy and, and our plans to how to welcome students in person and, some, and, and, and with some remote learning as well. Uh, we also have data that is now coming not just from Xavier, but also from other places that the real threat is not what happens in the classroom, it's what happens outside the classrooms or in the, in the party halls or, or away from campus that, 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 that we need to monitor. That's, those are the safety risks. So we have to monitor safety and show people come back safe. We have an uncertain situation because the numbers that you're seeing around the country and, and, and about half of our students do not come from the state of Louisiana. So they're coming from around the country as well. Right. Um, situated around the country is uh, precarious at best. Um, so we have we, we have a challenge there. We have so we want we want to be sure that as we're coming in that we can the students can return safely. Our students will be in single occupancy dormitories. We can keep them safe, but we also want to make sure that the community is safe as well, and that they as they come back they are not a risk to the community. So we will be testing all of them before when they come back. Make sure no one come, anyone testing positive can be sequestered, quarantined for a while until they are healthy and also unable to infect other people. So we, we, we have to manage that. We also have to make sure that the level of education is as, as good or equal to what we gave in the past. That's important uh, to have to learn from what we did in the fall to say exactly this did not work, this works better for that to reflect on, on, on what we need to make sure that we um, not just retain but allow our students to persist and persist and thrive. That's important. We also want to address the mental health of our students. And I'm not talking about actually the emotional health. Isolation, even for old people like me, is not very, is not, yeah, we don't deal with it very well. Our students don't deal with it very well as well. So I, we need to actually how to engage and keep them stimulated and, and, and so that they can actually have the human contact at the same time that they do not put themselves in precarious situations. That's that, that those are important, the short-term challenges. The longer-term challenge is understanding exactly what is the, how does the how does the higher ed landscape how is it will it will it have changed after COVID? Because there are many things that we have learned that we are doing now that will not go away. So we have to rethink exactly. We have some thinking to do about exactly what we need to emphasize and, and what we need to strengthen at Xavier as we go forward. Clearly, funding will be a, the largest challenge for us is funding because we also mix make education at schools like Xavier affordable. In other words, our students are the majority of them are on Pell. And that means they are they are not the, the best or most well-to-do families in the country. Uh, they have they have important needs, and so we also need to actually really ramp up our fundraising to be sure that we can actually support the students and make sure the students no student is denied the quality of education that we've been giving to their predecessors. Yeah, wow, Liz, you want to ask our uh, final couple of questions and. Uh... Take us home. Absolutely. This has been such an amazing primer, and I love everything that you've said, Dr. Moret. It gives me a lot to think about, and I think that everything that you've said also gives all of us in higher education a lot to reflect on, on how we can make sure that we are creating environments that all students can succeed, but especially students that are coming from marginalized backgrounds that need more support and how we can model that across the country. And like you said, for those that are in second grade now, my son is six, how can we make sure that when he's 18, 19, 20, going into the workforce or going into college or whatever 
choice he makes as far as his life that the society is um, as supportive as possible, nurturing as possible so that he can be successful. So this has given me definitely a lot to think about today. So I thank you for all the insight that you shared. We just have a couple last questions for you and you can answer those in whichever order you choose. The first one being, uh, what do you see as the future of higher education? And also if there's anything that you wanna add or anything that we haven't talked about as far as the initiatives and things that you're doing there at Xavier, this would be a great chance to just add anything that we haven't had an opportunity to speak about today. Well, to begin with the future of higher education, I think what we have to, uh, we will have to make greater connections with our K through 12s to make sure that students come, pre come better prepared to benefit from higher ed. For those who will come who are coming for higher education, they need to be ready, which means that we need to actually have greater engagement with K through 12, make sure that students come prepared. We need some work even with parents so that parents, especially parents who's, who's, who themselves have not gone to college, understand how they can be the advocates for their students to make sure that their daughter or son finds a path up. That's, that's, that'll be an important piece for us so that you can continue providing higher education at, at, at the cutting edge of these students so that they can actually come and become the artist, scientist, whatever they mean uh, is their dreams. Those are important things. I think what you will probably see uh, some higher education systems beginning to think having more marriages with, 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 with K-12 in some more interesting partnerships. That will be necessary for our country if, if we want to do this because so that, so that we can have real, edu real educational equity in this country. I think for Xavier itself, I think what we will, the challenge will be, for example, to actually our capacity to provide scholarship funds to, to, to students is talent will, will, will be a challenge for us. But also we, have, we will have some real reflection on how we begin to offer our programs uh, and utilize some of what we've learned in offering courses remotely and online, because most of our faculty now are becoming quite expert, how we use that to enhance the quality of education that, that, uh, uh, and, and whom we reach with our, with our education. That will be important. As we think of the programmatic of the programs that 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 that, that we begin to uh, to develop at Xavier, the mixture of that, we also have learned that remote by itself, ideal people have had some uh, pie in the sky dream of what remote education would do for all students. But we're finding that person personal engagement with mentor and student is also an important dimension for many students, for most of our students. So actually, we'll understand what comes, what's the best in all those and on both sides and how we can actually develop that. That'll be the future of higher ed as it begins to change. And we will begin to see I, uh, a greater understanding of the value of schools that may not have been valued as they were before. That's uh, pretty incredible. Liz, what do you think? That was definitely a mic drop moment as far as yeah. I'm concerned. <laughs> well, well, th uh, there you have it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Reynolds Verrett, President at Xavier University of Louisiana. It's been an absolute pleasure, sir, to have you on. I really appreciate it. I know Liz does as well. It's, it's been sure. an honor. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen live and get the scoop before anyone else. So please always feel free to share this podcast 
rate, review, and subscribe. We would really appreciate that. You've been listening to The Ed Up Experience, where we make education your business.